Welcome into this week's edition of AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent podcast and video stream dedicated to the legendary American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs, and after a week away, because every once in a while, you know, what, you got to, I don't know if it's a loser leaves town. I I don't even know. We didn't even do a a gimmick here, guys, to, you know, left the territory, but uh, now we're back. And uh, excited because this is a this is a topic this week that it's it's kind of hard to quantify, right? I mean, what what exactly are we going to be talking about? Before I get into the uh, thanking of the sponsors, Mick, how would you describe the topic today? Because I I don't even know quite how to describe it. Well, let's say this: throughout the years, wrestling fans have gotten a reputation. There are a few of them out there that stand out as perhaps a little more off kilter uh, than others, uh, either from a personality standpoint or maybe they got involved in the action when they shouldn't have. Uh, the same goes with people that work behind the scenes, the vendors, the program salesmen, etc. So we're going to spotlight those people uh, because if you grew up going to wrestling matches at some point or other, you came across these individuals. So it, it's kind of the from the ridiculous to the sublime to the bizarre, uh, but they're all unforgettable characters, at least for George and I. And, and I would add that most of the experiences we're going to be talking about are the characters that we came across in Minneapolis-St. Paul, which is our yes. homeland. Many yeah. of you, as we tell these stories, you will be able to recall maybe some <laughs> character in your own arena or studio. Our, our homeland. In your our homeland. Ho- our homeland. Our homeland. You make, it, you make it sound like we're in some foreign... Hey, trust me, sometimes I think we are. But yeah, the other man. thing I would say is that there were times, too, when these the individuals, motherland. a lot of the wrestlers would play into what they were doing as well. Yeah. yeah. They, you know, these these characters that we're going to talk about sometimes became part of the show. Mm-hmm. Good so start. it's going to be a fun one. So that's what we're going to do today. I uh, want to thank our sponsors. Uh, first of all, uh, I want to thank Liftbridge. You can see them uh, up in the corner. Uh, great beer, great pop, uh, super cool swag. Check them out at uh, Liftbridge brewery.com i mean it's summertime you want some brewskis there they are i mean it, everything they've got tastes chef's kiss so uh i have been known to enjoy a lip bridge or uh one or two here or there and uh, also soda stick um guys we have been breaking out some uh brand new things when it comes to soda stick and mick you've got the met uh, hat on i've got the skull hat on we have got uh, AWA Unleashed T-shirts. Um, we have got the personalized hoodies, and we have got a lot of really cool things. And and the personalized hoodies, uh, I think that's something that people are going to absolutely love. If you haven't gotten them yet, uh, go to SodastickCO.com and just search AWA Unleashed. That'll bring you to the landing page where we've got two products. We've got T-shirts and we've got uh, personalized hoodies. I know, Mick, you've got yours. Yep. Uh, George, you have, uh, you've ordered yours as well. Uh, I've got mine. My wife has got hers. My daughter's getting hers. 
Um, I absolutely love it. So it's when I talk about a one of a kind item, the personalized hoodie guys, that's just for you. Like nobody else can have your hoodie because you can put your name, you can put whatever you want on it. You can put slappy, you can put your name, you can put whatever you want. Like you can give yourself your own gimmick, whatever you want. That's, that's kind of cool. Slappy. Slappy. What? How about, you, you how about Joey the Chimp? Don't start with Joey the Chimp. That's a story for another day. All, All right. right, you guys. All, All right. right. No, no chimp talk, guys. Come on. No, no chimp talk. Uh, speaking of, speaking of, uh, I, I can't even make the transition. Let's just go to some trivia here, Mick, before we get into it. I, I pride myself on transitions, and I'm like, there's no fucking way I'm going to be able to make that transition. So go ahead. No. No, you're not. Uh, go ahead and give us a trivia winner from last week. Trivia winner from last week is Rob Anderson, Marshall, Minnesota. I gave you a list of wrestlers, a couple of which did not do color commentary uh, for the AWA during their stint as wrestlers here. Yes, even Jimmy Garvin did. Um, the wrestlers who did not were Dennis Stamp and Rock Riddle. They did not do color commentary for the AWA. So, Rob Anderson, congratulations. Send you some merchandise, courtesy of yours truly, and the podcast. All right. So, uh, there we go. Let's go ahead and get right into it, guys. Um, let me go ahead and, and uh, let's kick it off with you, Mick, as I'm bringing up the, uh, the talking points. We know that you guys mentioned that wrestling fans have a, a reputation Um I want to ask you guys, both of you, to weigh in. How have wrestling fans and the fan base, how has that changed over the years? Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first, Nick? Dramatically. Uh, back in the day, two things. First of all, wrestling fans believed, uh, at least a good portion of them, what they were seeing. Uh, they, they had that proverbial suspension of disbelief during the time that they were sitting in the arena. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that led to some violent behavior on their part. The modern-day wrestling fan, I don't think it's any different in a lot of cases from, uh, you know, you buy t or you get tickets to uh, see a sitcom. You're in the audience. You're part of the action. They're holding up the signs. Uh, they're chanting 15-year-old you know, phrases or, you know, letting the wrestlers know when they missed a spot or two. So I think the, the whole dynamic and the demographic has, has changed night and day. I think if you were to look at how fans have changed just from a viewpoint, when you turn on television and you see the fans in the arena and or the TV studio, that has changed drastically over the decades. We can remember back in the 50s when they'd show the audience and the men were dressed in suits, wore hats, smoked cigars, the ladies were in dresses. Some of them looked like, mm -hmm. like nightwear, you know, to go to the ball. And it, then you got into the, the fans just able to come in and have a T-shirt and blue jeans on, be average, scream and yell. And you could never bring a sign in for the most part in the, the right. old arenas that mm -hmm. we went to. But today, you know, you turn on any of the major wrestling shows and it's just a field of big posters, billboards. Honest to God, it's different. I had one that was taken from me when I made one in 1968. The ushers told me, you can't put that sign up there. You know, you're going to block someone's view. So yeah, it's yeah. changed a lot. The fan base has changed. 
I, I, let me ask you guys this kind of a follow-up, and I didn't have this on the sheet. As the internet has become more prevalent, and I think you guys know where I'm going with this, uh, more casual fans have been allowed to, not been allowed, they've got access to more background and more terminology and, and you know, more of the wrestling insider slang. And I see you nodding your head there, George. Uh, I know we always want to know more about the business, but is there, to kind of piggyback off what you were talking about, Mick, is, is there kind of a lack of respect from fans nowadays because everybody's got access to this information and everybody can be uh, an expert and everybody can critique based on what they see or read or hear? Um, or am I, am I just maybe pigeonholing a lot of it here? I think you're being kind, to be honest with you. Yes. Um, everybody's a keyboard warrior now. And, you know, you can blame the Internet, but, you know, part of it, you got to blame the business. You have to, you know, go back to uh, Vince McMahon opening up the door and breaking kayfabe and letting it all out there what the business is. And then, you, of course, you have the dirt sheets, you know, with their, the grading systems and what have you. And um, back in our day, Wrestling bulletins, they gave you results and they'd let you know who was coming to a territory. Wrestling bulletins and online newsletters today will let you know who walked out, what the contract dispute was, you know, who's uh, who's dating who, who's banging who, whatever it might be. And everybody becomes an expert. Everybody decides if a match is a one star, a five star. Um, I, I think there's a limit yeah, you can you can uh, be your keyboard warrior and express your opinions, but when your opinions have nothing to do with fact and more about your own personal ego, I hate it personally. I can't stand it. Well, and you got to keep in mind too that that the internet has allowed all the wrestling fans to literally become geniuses yeah. and historians, and they can go to any number of incredible sites that allegedly tell the truth and give the facts. And the other thing is, there are still those fans out there that are typing away on their keyboards, remembering things that, honest to God, never happened, or they make it up as they type. And I, I've said that for years. So we, we've got these fans that are, yes, some of them are smart, but mm -hmm. others, I'm sorry, they're complete morons when it comes to what they they need to uh, to know about wrestling. Mm -hmm. They think they know more than they do. And, and I'm not afraid on the Internet, and Mick, you know this, and people that know me, I'm not afraid to put them in their place. If you didn't see it, don't make it up. Oh, you're a heel, George. You well, know, that, that, that means a bad guy. Yeah. That's what I read on the Internet. Yeah. Heel means bad guy. Yeah. Okay. You're going you're gonna to bury the fans. That means you're going to say bad things about them. Let's Again, tell stories. I've seen that on the Internet. All right, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into it, guys. Um, I know the first one is, uh, you know, I'm just going to let you guys go. Uh, George, um, this is somebody that you guys talk about quite a bit. And uh, tell me about him. Well, we know him as Little Ricky. And if you were a, a fan that attended the St. Paul and Minneapolis cards on any regularity, I will tell you this, Little Ricky... He was known in the day, and this is not politically correct today, but he was known as a midget. And we had midget wrestlers. Well, Ricky was a midget fan. 
and he was at every card. And he would walk around the ring and be one of the most obnoxious. The only reason they let him walk around was because nobody could, nobody had a problem seeing over his head. The guy was three feet tall. That was it. And he would come around and he would talk to the fans and he would get in their face. <laughs> and, I got for you. and I mean this with no disrespect, but it's fact. He had a breath when he was talking to you that could stop a goat. It, it's fact. And as he's talking to you, he's spitting on your kneecaps and your shoes. So he was an interesting individual, but he would interject himself into the matches. When Dr. X was here, Ricky, he absolutely thought and believed in his little, and I mean little heart, he believed that Dr. X was Buddy Rogers. And he would strut around the ring, Buddy Rogers. And I can't do his Buddy Rogers, Buddy Rogers. And he'd keep doing it. Well, the doc eventually started taking pokes at him in the ring and mimicking him. The crusher came up with a name for the doc. He called him, he said he's not a doctor, he's a quack. So he'd come out and he'd have a duck, quack, quack. Well, wouldn't you know, little Ricky had to have a duck and quack, quack around the ring. And he'd walk around, quack, 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 quack. Interesting human being. And Hodus and Totus, that was Hennigan Race, the names that uh, he was given by the doc. But Ricky's got a frog around the ring. Ribbit, 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 ribbit. Just a, a, an interesting human being. And he, back in the days when we had phone books, for you folks that don't know what they are, they were about this big and they had everything listed in it. Little Ricky found my phone number and he'd call me up on the phone. Pick it up. Hello? Jerry? He thought my name was Jerry. I liked it that way. Mick, I know you got some stories about this guy. Well, I don't want to, you know, give the guy his whole show here, but I will tell you a couple of things about little Ricky. First of all, and, and we're not denigrating no. you know, a whole group of people. This is this impression of little Ricky is exactly as how he talked. He would talk like this. <laughs> and... What, what he would do, he knew that I was the president of the Bockwinkle Brigade. Oh, yeah. And he would wait for something to happen. Maybe Nick hit a guy with a foreign object. So the fans were at a fever pitch at the end of the night. And he'd see me at the end of the hall, and he'd point and yell all the way down the hall, there's Bockwinkle's fan club guy. Well, all <laughs> Everybody turned on me. Another story. I love that, by the way, George, about, you know, his breath could stop a goat. Maybe maybe a whole herd of them. Seriously. One time, and I don't remember why I had to call Little Ricky, but I did. And I don't remember it was for a fan convention or something. But call him up. Hello? I said, Ricky, how are you doing? Hang on a minute. Okay, as a second goes by. Hello? Well, it was Little Ricky's dad that had answered the phone. With the same voice as Little Ricky. I thought the guy was throwing his voice. I thought he was doing a Paul Winchell and Jerry Mahoney. I didn't know what he was doing. And then I, I thought to myself, what if his sister sounds the same way? But Little, little <laughs> I Ricky. I thought it might have been his mom that answered the phone. Oh, my God. This was Little Ricky was legendary, but he was annoying as shit. But, uh, you know, he's certainly one of the more legendary fans go ahead and i will tell you that he is so legendary that when Vern ganya did his the wrestler movie in 73 if you watch it 
Little Ricky is walking around the ring strutting. He made yeah. the movie. He made the movie, yeah. and he became far more popular than you and I. Moving on, uh, this is a guy that actually George knows a little bit better than I do because George had to sit next to the guy. All I had to do was, you know, put up with him yelling at me when I was a ringside photographer to sit down and get out of the way so he could, you know, get a better look at Steve Regal or whatever. I'm talking about a guy that George affectionately calls Jumpin' Jimmy Stifter. And, and George, I know you liked the man's attire. <laughs> you, loved, you loved his pants, his clothing. So I'll let you have this one. Well, Jumpin' Jimmy Stifter, that was a name we gave him, the jumping part. The reason we did was because the man would come to the matches with a with a sport coat on that was literally a size or two or three too small. He'd have the sleeves up a little bit. And that's not all. His pants, which weren't blue jeans, they I think they were supposed to be dress pants, they were up to above his knees, and he'd have white socks on. And we we I figured he was ready for a flood. I was always prepared that the auditorium was going to be flooded. And he would be in the wrestlers' faces. He'd never sit in his seat. I didn't understand. And I used to have this thing about, you know, you buy a ticket. It affords you the right to sit in your seat. It doesn't give you access to everything in the auditorium. Jumping Jimmy Stifter, he believed that his area was anywhere he wanted to be. Just a pain in the, you know. Legendary. Legendary. Um <laughs> I'm going to pick up at this point. No, actually, you know what, George? Go ahead. You've got a, a, something about a guy with no teeth. Oh, my gosh. Well, oh, man. Well, this is the whole arena. I, I, I was going to say, yeah, we're going to let gonna George say, talk about somebody with no teeth. Yeah, but you got to realize that most of the time when you looked around the arena, it could have been a convention for dentists to attend. This guy behind me, this guy behind me, he, he I think he was probably fine. only about 70. But he probably was a lot older. He believed in his heart of hearts that pro wrestling was real. God bless him for that. They convinced him. But he had this situation every time the bad guy, didn't matter who it was, would get away with something and the referee would miss it. And usually it was poor Chuck Svensson. Man, he was a good referee. Chuck was. Because Chuck, every once in a while, would take the bad guy and maybe give him a pop to pull yeah. him off or something. Yeah. But every time Chuck would miss the bad guys fouling the, his baby face opponent, this monkey behind me, he says, bought off referee, bought off referee. And the wrestler would have to sh shut up, bought <laughs> off referee. He believed it. And he's in my ear. Right behind me. It's like, please sit down. Not to mention, I started wearing a cap because I realized that the top of my head was getting wet. That was this no-tooth individual. And he did. I think he only had two teeth. I'm sure dental floss wasn't a problem. He probably just used rope. You know something, George? There was also a guy, and I don't know if this was the same guy. And mind you, you're at a wrestling card. Whenever this guy, this fan, got bored, he would yell, boy, what a ball game. And I'm thinking, where the hell am I? Am I at that stadium? Did Tony Oliva just strike out? What happened? But anyway, you know, needless to say, uh, moving on to a guy who is really a beloved character. And, and this is, this yeah. is um, 
They called him Grandpa Nick, oh, and his God. name was Nick DiGidio. And Nick was a, a an old-timer from northeast Minneapolis, religiously went to the TV tapings every week. Not so much at the auditorium, but he was at television each and every week. He got tickets. They loved him. They called him Grandpa Nick. He was always in the front row, usually had a Dr. X T-shirt on. Mm-hmm. And, and suspenders, you know, so he was certainly the height of fashion back in the day. Uh, he was the resident cheerleader. The residents would give him a hard time. Of course, the heels, they would go back and forth with him, but lovingly. You know, they would take a shot at him, but, you know, it, it was all in good fun. Uh, Grandpa Nick, believe it or not, here's a guy that goes to TV matches for 34 And... The man, the man collapsed at the TV studio one night. I mean, this is his last television taping that he went to. And they were in a tape break or a commercial, whatever. I look over and I see Grandpa Nick sitting in the front row and he slumped over. And all of a sudden, you know, Bob O'Brien the, and, and security and the police go over and they attend, attend to Nick, uh, Grandpa Nick. And I went up and saw him in the hospital a few days later. Apparently he had a some type of a cardiac aneurysm or something like that, right as he's sitting in the front row of the wrestling matches. And he succumbed to it, you know, maybe a week later. But I'm thinking to myself, boy, what a what a way to go out. You know, this is your passion. You're the resident cheerleader. You've built up your own following. People love you. And the lights turn out right front row at the TV studio matches. But legendary Grandpa Nick. A very endearing character and a, a nice guy to boot, and they always made reference to him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he, he was he was loved, really. Go ahead, See, George. We, we can be nice some of the time. You got a good one here. I want to talk about a wrestler. A wrestler. He wasn't a fan, but this individual, he would make sporadic appearances after the early '60s to the Twin Cities, and he was known as Joe Scarpello. Absolutely one of the greatest amateur wrestlers and a real good pro. Just never really took the pro side 100% uh, seriously for a career because he could have went farther than he did. But Joe had a unique, I guess it would be a unique thing that he did. He always made sure when he was wrestling in the St. Paul Auditorium or Minneapolis, he would pick out a lady fan sitting at ringside that would happen to have a skirt on. And I'm telling the God's truth here. And every time during that match, not once, not twice, probably two, three times during the course of his match, he would have his opponent toss him out right in front of that lady and or on practically on top of her lap. And we know he was probably in it for the show. haha. But that was <laughs> Joe Scarpello. He, oh, we'd always laugh. Watch. there, That's the one he's going to go to. And sure enough, there they'd be. He was a good friend of Vern Gagne's. Joe was a great amateur wrestler. And when he would come to the Minnesota, the Twin Cities, he would actually room at the Dykeman Hotel in the back room of the wrestling office. That way Vern, you know, saved on a hotel bill for, for Joe or whatever. But, yeah, an enduring character. But, yeah, Joe, Joe Scarpella liked his work. No question about that. It was only uh, a cot. It was a small cot in the wrestling office. Well, the guy was... He was five seven. I mean, yeah. you know, we didn't even, you know. Well, wait three. a minute. That's okay. Go ahead. Anyway, 
Uh, moving ahead. Yeah, uh, th- th- these are kind of stories that I'm, we've heard a lot of these stories. So I'm, I'm kind of curious about this because I, I haven't we touched on this one before? We have, but I, okay. I this one certainly needs to be mentioned again. You know, we've talked about the fans with the liquid courage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, if their girlfriend is there, their wife or their buddies, and they've had a little too much, they're a little, they're a little bit schnockered, uh, they want to be a big shot. And one particular night, a fan was following Larry Henning back to the locker room after Larry's match. Larry was still a heel at the time. He was pretty boy Henning. And this fan has his girlfriend with him, so he's yelling at Larry, screaming, 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 you're this, you're that, you ba 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 ba. And he's not only annoying Larry Hennig, but Larry walked into the locker room and, you know, tuned the guy out. The cops had had about enough of this guy. And normally they'll just push him to the side and say, hey, enough of that. But they asked him, do you want to go into the locker room and talk this out with Larry Hennig? Guy looks around, his girlfriend, oh, I'll go in there, you know. And they opened the door for him. They shut the door. And within a matter of minutes, you would have thought that there was a 27-car crash on the freeway uh there's larry the axe or larry pretty boy headache larry the axe of all the people that you want to mess with or don't want to mess with larry hennig are you nuts so this guy you know who you know sloshed you could hear the ocean roar as he went into the locker room and you hear this banging around he came out and one part of his nose was here and the other part of his nose was here and maybe he had a beard full of nose i'm not sure what it was (laughs) The, the cop said, poor guy wanted Larry's autograph, and he tripped over a bench and and face-planted, and that's how he got bloody mm-hmm. bloody. So uh, remind me here, Mick, did did Vern allow this? Like, if the heels or anybody was getting harassed to the point where it was over the line, did Vern give the boys, the talent, the carte blanche to say, all right, if this guy's going to be a tough guy, go out and, and mess him up? No, no, you you couldn't do that because you face lawsuits. And even if the fans were at fault, Mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't encourage it. Uh, Every once in a while, things got out of hand, though, and you didn't have any choice. Adrian Adonis and Jerry Blackwell were two guys. They would go right up into the stands and go nose to nose with people. They didn't care. And if somebody took a swing at them, man, they would retaliate. But Mm -hmm. this particular night, when you got the cops on your side, as Larry Hennig did, opening the door for this clown. Uh, but no, did Vern condone it and encourage it? No. Okay. I, I was uh, yeah. I was just kind of curious when it comes to that, how you know how it was viewed then, uh, compared to uh, you know to, to how it is now. Uh, George, I know that you've got a. It looks like you've got a couple of them here coming up. Well, one of them is kind of personal, just because you know when you're sitting at your ringside seat. I had a ringside seat right on the center of the, of the aisle. And, uh, I had two guys that sat next to me. Um, I, I called them Mutt and Jeff. Uh, my friend Gary Lodge has some different stories, names for them, but Mutt and Jeff, one was big, one was small. And the problem was, is that the one that always sat next to me was the bigger guy. And I mean, he, he almost took up two chairs. So it, was, it wasn't comfortable. That wouldn't have been as bad if these two guys would have just showered at least a week before they came to the arena. <laughs> Honest to God, they, he smelled so bad. You know, this is B.O. at the, it was B.O. on top of B.O. And their clothes, 
I mean, they, they weren't even fit to be bought at a goodwill. It was terrible. I don't know where they come from. And I used to say, where or oh, where do they go when they leave here? Where? Because they, I didn't get it. And I, at times I would bring my young daughter and I'd always put her to the other side of me. And she even commented, Daddy, what's that smell? It's like, excuse me. But yeah, and I don't know what their names were. I never talked to them. I really, I had to stay turned a little bit. And uh, I didn't understand it. They could have at least showered. That's all. You, I you just you, you gave me a great idea for some merch. We'll just slap the AWA Unleashed logo on some deodorant. Bang. It'll, hey, trust me, they'll buy it. Million dollar idea, Tubbs. That ought to sell one. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I think we've all had I think we've all had that issue where the unkept uh, wrestling fan. I think that's what we're we're, we're, we don't want to denigrate. We're not denigrating all wrestling. No, fans. no, we're not. No, no we're not. not. These, no. These, these, these were a couple of uh, stinkalophicus that were next to you, George. Well, and the guy, honestly, you had to smell it to believe it. <laughs> really? I'm getting sick just listening. Can oh. we move on now? Yeah, um, uh, I, I tell you what, yeah, Mick, uh, let's go ahead and I'm just looking at the uh, looking at the notes here. Um, yeah, why don't you, uh, yeah, you go uh, to your next one. Oh, this one, I don't know, but based on the verbiage, I'm very curious about it. Uh, are we talking about the vendor? Yeah, something about vendors and sucking thumbs. And yeah, is George that, will know this, right? Kind of, okay. Okay. Yeah, th there was a guy, uh, he was a vendor, and he was around for a while. He was at both these uh, Twin Cities matches in, in Minneapolis and St. Paul. And this guy would go around hawking programs or, you know, peanuts or whatever he was selling. He'd make his way through the crowd. Well, he hated the heels. So, mind you, here's a guy who's selling stuff. As he's doing this and making his way through the crowd, he's screaming at the heels. He's screaming at Bachwinkle or Heenan or Ray Stevens, whoever it is. He's Certainly right. not. He, he's not being an unbiased vendor. In between screams and insults, the man is sucking his thumb. So if you can envision this, Chris, and God, uh, hopefully I'm remembering correctly, and he did not was not selling hot dogs, but can you imagine – the guy is sucking his thumb, and then he reaches in to get whatever stuff was there and hands it to you. Oh, my God. No. Can you no. just imagine? No. And and this guy, you know, he, he was around for a while. So, you know, I, there obviously wasn't a labor shortage at the time, and they, you know, they, they, they got this guy. But, yes, and many, many times I would get on his case and say, what the hell do you think you're doing? And he would look at me like I was from another planet and he would continue sucking the thumb. So he would suck. He would suck the thumb and he would put that thumb on the food and that's, give you the food. And it was fine. That's that. Well, it was fine by him, you know. And, you know, the wrestling fans were probably facing the ring watching, you know, Ron Ritchie. Well, they didn't see it. In the opening match, and they didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my! Imagine God. that. Oh, wow. He would literally stop as he's walking around, stop and suck his thumb, watching yep. the action in the ring. Literally. Well, I would. I would warn. Yes. Exactly. He, you look just like him. You know, you really do. As well, let's try to put the time frame here. Now he's probably a little bit older, but anyway, uh, can you imagine having to 
check your hot dog. <laughs> you have to <laughs> wait a minute here. I, whoa, whoa. I, you got to check your hot dog for a thumbprint, but you know, that's... <laughs> oh boy, you probably don't want to go. But oh, yeah, man, that's... just I just got lightheaded just when you just said you got to check your hot dog for a thumbprint. For thumbprint, yeah. But true story. <laughs> true story. <laughs> oh God! I don't think a finer phrase has ever been uttered on this um, on this show. Well, yeah, now that trendy. we've lost everybody. <laughs> uh, go oh ahead, God. George. All right, let's do uh, – why don't you do one more, George? You do, do one more, Mick, then um, I I don't even know. All right, let's uh, – well, yeah, I'm going to talk, talk about fans. You know, we, we all know that sometimes the fans would interject themselves into the action. And, of course, thank God for the, at the time, limited – security we had at the arena and the ushers this was a time when i was sitting ringside mick i know you were there the redheads bastine and lions were in a death match against mad dog and butcher vashon yep during the course of the match mad dog was tossed out onto the ring apron outside the ring ropes this fan from the front row came running up literally had a knife in his hand, was coming at the dog on the apron. Now, this was a time when security was intervening, but also Red Bastine stood in center ring and tried to protect the dog from what was going to happen. And a fan from that same general area took a chair and threw it into the ring, hitting Bastine in the shoulder, literally hitting him. And I remember seeing the big welt that happened on Bastine's shoulder. And as Mad Dog is trying to be pulled out, Red's trying to pull the dog out of the way. So he kind of broke kayfabe there because he was there to protect Mm -hmm. the dog. And the usher and a police officer wheeled this monkey out of the arena that's got this knife. But this is a time when the fan, had there not been that intervening, and Bastine absolutely stopping the action for a moment, Mad Dog could have taken a, a serious injury. And you wonder, and that was one of the things the wrestlers would often tell you, that they feared the fans most of all, because their job sometimes was to irritate them and, and frustrate them and make them hate them, and sometimes they went too far. And that was that was a scary moment. I remember it like it happened yesterday. So when it comes to... To, to things like this where fans get a little overzealous was security ever smartened up to certain things or was security to your guys' knowledge guys were they ever told hey you know if if you're if you see something like this to jump on it or was it just you just have to always you know read and react they weren't always they weren't always informed uh, of something that might happen that was planned by the wrestlers themselves. Mm-hmm. There were there were incidences, Bob O'Brien would be one, where he was at times brought into the loop. Bob O'Brien was the one that you would most see at the studio matches. But Bob was there. But generally speaking, 
the police were not involved in in knowing an angle that they were a storyline or something they were going to work out. Mm -hmm. You just had to hope. And you got to realize we didn't have security back then like we do today. We'd have maybe one or two police officers, and they were off-duty police officers. And that's also something I was gonna I was gonna ask is what kind of security mm-hmm. did you have? Because now we have a lot of the you know these security companies that have like bodybuilders and guys that you would be intimidated by. You know, you're like, okay, I'm not gonna try anything. But did did people? I mean, were the security did it feel did it look like they could have been taken advantage of? Am I am I saying that the right way? Because sometimes fans will look at it. They're like, well, I can you know I can obviously get past that security card to do whatever it is that I want to do. You know what? I, I think it's it's more so like that today than it was back then. The, the security guys that I remember, and we're, we got a couple of uh, talking points here that will address that, but there were a lot of times big beefy security guys. I mean, I know the AWA had, had uh, guys that probably weighed about three bills. Uh, at least, you know, they were in proximity of the ring. So if somebody got a, out of hand, they would get right in there. And George mentioned Bob O'Brien, uh, the police officer. And uh, I that actually leads into my next story. Uh, and this also has to do with fan violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit here. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it sometimes went absolutely crazy and uh Riot situations. I mean, full yeah. scale riots. No BS. The real deal. Yeah. And uh, let's go ahead and stop it right there, guys, uh, for part one, because uh, I know that we've still got a lot of things. And I, I don't want to shortchange these stories because I know there are a lot of things that guys that you guys want to talk about that are still the bullet points there. And um, one thing that I want to do is make sure that we continue to give this because these are events and these are individuals that a lot of people, you know, they remember. And I, I don't want to just give them some, you know, a couple of bullet points. So that way we can kind of get it into our time frame. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop part one and then uh, we're going to have part two uh, coming up next week. So there's going to be no trivia. Uh, I'm just going to, you know, as we say, uh, card subject to change, as you guys would say, uh, we are, uh, we are going to go ahead and cut it off here and we're going to come back with uh, part two next week. So, uh, guys, it, it, it's been fun so far. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to part two coming up next week. We're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of stories yet to tell. As they say, the best is yet to come.